0: Thank you William. Good morning. If you have your Bible, don't open to the Gospel of John this morning. Go ahead and go to Colossians. We're actually going to be taking a slight detour this morning, and we're going to actually be in the book of Colossians. Now, uh, let me just explain a little bit why that is. Uh, So this last week, a lot of things happened that were not according to plan, Um, and that definitely changed up the whole makeup of my week. And yesterday, I was still planning on being in the Gospel of John and going through the next portion, but just looking at it and actually even talking to Pastor Billy and just looking at, at all of the things that still needed to be done in order to feel confident in bringing that passage and not just filling the time of, well, this is the preaching moment, so we might as well just do something and and at least say something we we wanted to make sure no are we confident in what we are saying that this was the point of this passage this was the reason that it was here and just looking forward at at the point that I was at I was like man for me to get to the point where I will feel that way would be detrimental to me it would be detrimental to my family because it would have meant I was going to be at the church until like four in the morning um, and then I would have preached in a different way and and just in that moment just stopping and saying you know what This is okay. We're going to go a different direction. Um, So this was actually a message that I preached a while back at uh, Mike Conroy's church, and Mike had come here to preach. But looking at the passage, I was like, wow, there's a lot of things that actually fit well with what we are doing right now in our church. There are a number of areas in which this connects to the Gospel of John that are helpful for us. There are areas that things that as we are moving forward as a church that it's helpful for us to talk about. But before we start, this is the fifth Sunday of the month. And so right now, I need one volunteer, a a kid, to help me out real quick. So I I need to see a hand of a kid who would be willing to help me out. All right, come on up. Okay, here's, here's what I need you to do. We've got some blocks here. And what I want you to do, do you think you could build a tower for me? Okay, I want you to build get these blocks, and I want you to build a tower right here for me. You think you can do that? All right, you go ahead and start doing that, and I'm going to talk, but build it right here on top. Okay, and you, let's just see how high you can go, and you keep on going. In the book of Colossians, one of the things that Paul has been developing is the idea of our firm foundation. Now, in Colossians, just a little bit of background because we haven't been in this book, what you have is a group of Christians, of young believers that Paul has actually never met. These are people that are not, this church in Colossians is not the result of his own ministry. It's the result of the ministry of Epaphras. In verse 7, But Paul has heard about them. He rejoices in what they're doing. All right, let's see how much higher we're going to go. I think right there's good. Perfect. Thank you. And we're going to talk more about this. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for doing that. I think he deserves a round of applause for an excellent tower. So in Colossians, what you have is Paul writing to these believers He's not writing to them in order that they may become believers. He's writing to them because they already are, and he's heard about their faith. But they're young Christians. And so what Paul has is a goal, first, that he wants to make sure that they understand their firm foundation. He wants to establish a firm foundation for them. Now, some of you have worked on houses or done different construction pro- projects, and you know how important it is to have a firm foundation. Once that foundation starts to, to erode or maybe it wasn't built right, what happens to the rest of the building? It falls down. It's weak. It's not the way that it should be. Um, a, a, almost a year ago, down in Florida, there was that tragedy where those two, that condominium collapsed. And it had collapsed because the foundation was eroded. There was water from the pool and from different areas that was seeping down, that was rusting the metal, that was chipping away at the concrete. And at face value, everyone looking at the building, it was beautiful. It had everything that they needed, and yet... There was something wrong with the foundation. So in the beginning of the book, the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul says, this is your foundation. And what is the foundation of those Christians? It's Christ. He talks about the preeminence of Christ. He talks about the mystery that has been revealed, which is Christ in you. But... He just doesn't give information where you just, okay, this is the foundation. What do you do after there's a foundation? If you drive around, sometimes you'll see people start in construction, and they first clear out the ground, they dig, they build a foundation, and then are they done? Kids, what what happens after the foundation, after they dig out the basement, they put all the concrete down, what happens next? They build. They keep on going up they build something on that foundation. And that's the other half of the goal that Paul has for the Colossians. It's establish the firm foundation, know what the firm foundation is, but then build on that foundation. We can see that at the very beginning, if you look at verse 9 of chapter 1, that this is his desire. And so from the day we heard, the day that he heard about their faith, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What's he talking about? I want you to know. I want you to plant yourself on this foundation, but then there's a reason. So as the result, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He wants them to be built up. We can see this later in uh, in chapter 1, looking at verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. All of that is the foundation. This is what Christ has done verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Why are we looking at this right now? Well, one reason is if we look back, what we went through last week, we talked about the good shepherd. And one of the things that we saw in our passage in John was the difference between the true shepherd and then the thieves and robbers. We also talked about the difference that the shepherd makes in establishing the sheep. We looked at all of those things, but there's a danger that Paul wants to address that we even saw a little bit in John. There's a danger to the firm foundation. The danger to the firm foundation is false teaching. False teaching erodes at that foundation. Even if you begin well, even if you start on that firm foundation, there can be things that start eroding at that. There can be things in which you start building, not just there, but you start establishing and anchoring yourself on other things. So we want to talk about these false teachers because we kind of began to address it last week, but we didn't go as much into it. But the other reason is last week, we also went through our members meeting. And in that members meeting, we talked about a vision moving forward. But one of the things that can happen when we establish our own vision is that we can start establishing, well, these are just good practices. These are good ideas. And you can build a whole church on good practices and good ideas, and yet what's lacking is the firm foundation, which is Christ. And so I thought that this might be a good detour for us to just remember, as we are moving forward this year as a church, as we are even looking at the foundation of who Christ is in the Gospel of John, we need to be wary of the false teaching. So go ahead and before we get into the verses we're going to be in, which is verses 16 of chapter 2, I want to jump to verse 6 of chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, our passage in verse 16 is going to start with a therefore. And so I want to look back at what happens right before that. But here's the big idea that we're going to see, okay? Here's the big idea. Submission to false teaching erodes our firm foundation in Christ. If we submit to false teaching, it will erode our firm foundation in Christ, which is not saying anything about Christ. It's saying something about us. What are we building upon? So look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Look at all of the words in that verse that have that idea of being well-founded. Look what it says, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to christ last week we talked about that that the world that the thieves and robbers seek to kill seek to steal seek to destroy and all of these other things are trying to take away our firm foundation. Why should we avoid in these things? For, and I want you to notice how many times we see the words in him. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul is giving a very firm foundation. We need to be built on Christ. We talked about this last week. The only way to become a sheep, the only access to God is through entering through the door. He is our proprietor. He is our protection. He is our provision. But why? It was all because of the work he did on the cross. It was all because of his propitiation. And that's what we see in these verses. All of the things that Christ has done. If that's the truth, if that's the firm foundation, here's then what should not happen here's the thing that cannot enter into our midst we must not let false teaching come in so look at verse 16 therefore therefore because of this firm foundation therefore because of everything you have in christ everything that happens with christ therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath What's happening in these verses right here is that what you have is a false teaching that creeps in that thinks, you know what? We have a firm foundation here, but I think, I think we can make it better. So, so the Bible is still fine. It's good to have that firm foundation. It's good to be built on Christ. But you know what? Let's add some things to it. Let's let's make it a little bit stronger. And so, let's add some things because you know what? You can never you can never go wrong with more foundation. You can never go wrong with having more strength. So, what we can do is we can build on this. Now, kids, what do you think is going to happen if I put these blocks on here? Hopefully. What's going to happen if I try to build on the firm foundation? We still have Christ. We still have these things, but 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 maybe some other things could help, you know, like following these other traditions. No? Let's see. Didn't work, did it? But what about this foundation? This foundation's still here. Here's what Paul is saying. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon. Now, the first part of that. Christians and unchristians love the, when we see those things in the Bible. Let no one pass judgment on you. Yes, I'm free. No one can do these things. No one can say anything. But let's qualify this because Paul does. Let no one pass judgment in you in, in regard, in these things, in questions of something. The pass ju- passing judgment is for you. Don't submit to them. Don't put yourself under their authority. In what areas? Questions of food and drink, festivals, a new moon, a Sabbath. Now, what's going on here? Is this just a random list where Paul's like, you know what, let me just think of different things that people might pass judgment on you. No, these are linked to something. What do you think that they're linked to? The law, the Old Testament. In the Old Testament... God prescribed different ways in which it was appropriate for his people to worship him. He had different things that were meant to keep the Israelites as set apart, those were things about what they could eat, what they could drink. It was prescribed when they would worship him. Hey, this is how you will worship them. In festivals, you will come and worship me for the things that I have done. On these dates, whether it's the Sabbath or the beginning of the month, these are the times that you would worship him. Now, were those things good? Yes. That was what God told them to do in the Old Testament. But are they still necessary? No. What have we seen as we've been going through the Gospel of John? Jesus has been continually confronting this idea and and telling them, I am better. I am the true fulfillment. The whole idea that, that Jesus kept on being confronted with is he would come to different things and they would say, but we have Moses. We have Jacob, we have Abraham. One of the themes that we see in John is the continual repetition of different festivals. It begins when it talks about the Passover, and John says, but look, here's the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is a better fulfillment of the Passover. We talked about the Feast of Tabernacles. In the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus, they would celebrate because God had been their light in the Old Testament. God had provided water for them. And then Jesus stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. I am the light of the world. What Jesus was showing is that he was the better fulfillment of those festivals. Even in the Sabbath, that they went against Jesus because he wasn't holding to this, their version of the Sabbath. But in Jesus, we find true rest it's not in your works. All of those things were pointing forward. They were like a shadow. Now, guys, or kids, when, when you look at your shadow, if you look behind me back here, whose shadow is this? Okay, if you couldn't see me, but you could see my shadow, could you know some things about me? You might think I'm a lot taller than I am looking at the size of my shadow, but you could look at my shadow and you could notice some things that are true about me. But do you think if you wanted to know who I am, it would be better to look at my shadow or to look at me? Which one's going to tell you more of who I am? My shadow or me? Me. I show you more who I am. And so Paul says these things, they were good things, but they are a shadow of the things to come. Turn over about going, a, uh, well, for you guys that way, in Hebrews, to ch- Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. This is what it says. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. What it's saying is that, yes, those things were good, but they were just a shadow of what was coming. There was something better that was coming. What is the better thing that came? Jesus. Jesus came. It look, if we look back down and it says in verse 11, And every pe- priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The law couldn't redeem people. The law didn't show us that we, didn't make us worthy. The law revealed our unworthiness. But, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. go back to to John or to go to Colossians go back to Colossians i'm in this i'm in that mode paul knows that the firm foundation is Christ this is what you're built on here here's the the problem with what we're seeing here what what do we call it when we add to God's requirements. We don't say that God's requirements are wrong, but we add to them. What's the word that we use in Christian circles that describes that? Legalism. Hey, this is what God says. This is what you're supposed to be built on. But we think we can make it a little bit better. Here's here's the principle I want you to know. You can never strengthen the foundation of Christ by adding lesser materials, you can never make the foundation of Christ, make that foundation that we are built on stronger by adding lesser things. These things were a shadow. He's not saying that they were wrong, that they were bad, but they're a shadow. They are a lesser thing. So, but why, why is legalism so effective? Now for some of you, it's because you just like having a structure. Tell me what I can and I can't do. But the the real thing that is underlying there is pride. We think we can do better. We think we can make a better foundation than what God made. Not only that, though we enjoy the ability of being able to, to compare ourselves to others. Look, Oh, that's your foundation? Well, all right, but my foundation is stronger because I also do these other things. We judge others, and Paul is saying, don't let others judge you in regard to these things. Now, I want to make a quick aside because we can look at that and say, wait a second, okay, Paul says it, let no one pass judgment on you. We're not allowed to, we're we're not going to judge each other. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He qualified his statement because. Part of the foundation of Christ and his word, he does give things in which we are called to to look accurately at things. There are times in which we as brothers and sisters in Christ would come up and say, brother, what you're building your life on is not according to the foundation. Now that's not, Paul's not saying, hey, nope, don't don't listen to them, they're wrong. No, You do let people judge you in the sense of of pointing things out when it's not the foundation of Christ. But it's according to the foundation of Christ. Now this is so important because when we're talking about our church and the vision that we have for our church, there will be things that we're going to grow in, that we're going to be presenting. If there are things that I'm presenting as our foundation that are not Christ and his word, don't listen. Don't do it. Don't just take my word at face value. Evaluate it. Wait, is this truly in God's word? Now, I, I want to just briefly illustrate the, the problem that, that sometimes we fall into with this whole legalism thing. Is because it, we can say, yeah, legalism is bad, but there's some areas where it just seems to make sense to us. Because we're like, you know what, I, I just want to be, cover my bases. I, I'd rather be safe than sorry. Here's the problem with legalism, though. Legalism makes you sorry and less safe. It's not rather better safe than sorry. It makes you sorry about all these things that you feel like you should have done and makes you feel less safe. So, so if, let's imagine we lived several a couple hundred years ago in this area and you had to travel all the way to Allentown. Okay, that's the task that you're given. That's going to be quite the expedition. You're going to have to forge streams. You're going to have to find paths through fields. You're going to have to go through all of these forests. And then when you finally get close, there's this big mountain, which if you've driven 476, there's a tunnel through, but not a couple hundred years ago, and so now you're going to have to go over this mountain. You're going to push all of these things just to get to Allentown. But now... You get to time travel, and you come to the present day. And someone invites you to go to Allentown with them, and you're like, oh, that's going to be such a journey, but okay. But then you get into a car, you drive, depending on who's driving, well, let's just say 60 miles an hour, just be safe. You're driving 60 miles an hour, and you're, you're just amazed. You come to the first river, you drive right over it. You come to a forest, there's a path that goes right through it, asphalt. You come to the mountain, the last part at the very end, and there's a tunnel right through it. That's amazing. It's never been easier to get to Allentown. Next week, the person invites you to go to Allentown again, and you're like, yes, because I'm still overwhelmed by what we did last week. I can't wait to do it. But this time, he pulls out a horse and buggy, makes you climb into the horse and buggy, you avoid all the roads, you go through fields, you go try to go through forests, finally you get to the very, he makes you swim, you finally get to the mountain, and, and the tunnel's there, but you're like, nope, we're going to push ourselves over the mountain. And you ask this individual, like, what are you doing? Why are we doing all this? Better safe than sorry. I really want to make sure that we can get to Allentown. And so I would like to make sure that we do all these, these different methods. What's the problem? There's a better way to Allentown. We've already been to Allentown. We know there's a way to Allentown, and yet we still keep doing all of these other things. It's foolishness. When we think that we're going to access God by doing all of these things, it's foolishness, especially considering those other things never actually got people to Allentown. The law never actually was successful in getting people there. But through Christ, we have access. Through Christ, we can do things. And so to, thinking that to add other things to be safe is foolishness, and you're not making your foundation stronger. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in these extra things, these other things. And, and so what does that look like in our church? How many of you grew up with either a in a church that had um, a covenant or maybe a different ministry of tons of things that just aren't in the Bible. I did. Now now let me qualify. There are times where I think that that's okay. I think there are elements where you there is liberty within a church to say this is going to be part of our identity. This is the reality of our ministry that this is something we are asking our members to do. But here's the problem. It's one thing to say, you know what? This is just what we're going to do. For example, there's nowhere in the scripture that says you must be at church at 10 a.m. on, on Sunday and people that meet at 9.30 or, or 9 o'clock, you know, they're, they're sinning. No. And yet we are told to gather regularly. So is it, would we say that you would be in sin if you regularly neglected to gather with our church as we gather as a body? Yes. But could we also say it's sin if you don't worship at 10 a.m. on a Sunday? No. Okay, so there are things that we can say as a church, this is how we are going to do things, and there's elements to that. There are even things that we might say, you know what, for our church, this is a decision we made. The problem was, in those circles, when those things were equated to holiness. Wait, how long is your beard? Do you have a beard? Do you play with cards? Do you go to the movies? How long is your hair? All of these other things, which might have even had a reason for them, but then they were elevated... To the place of this is your foundation. This is how you are holy. And we would pass judgment on others. That's legalism. Don't submit to that. Don't give someone else the authority to say whether or not you are worthy before God. Who determines whether you are worthy or not before God? Jesus. Now, does Jesus give the job to the church to oversee that? To challenge you? To affirm your salvation? Yes. He does. He does do that. But when that church or those people start saying and putting judgment on you according to things that are not in Scripture, don't give them that authority. That is time for you to leave at that point. So now let's look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Again, we have this idea of someone else being in authority. The, the word disqualify you, um, for those of you who are fans of, of baseball, it's, it's like an umpire that you're out of here, right? Three strikes, like, you're out. Or he, he, he expels someone from the game and, and he tells the, the general manager who was yelling, nope, you're out, you got to go to the locker, they're disqualified. It's a sports term. It's it's an umpire. Let no one disqualify you. Again, who who has authority to disqualify? Right? Who who are the people that disqualify? Is it someone that is under you or is someone that is over you? Someone that's over you. So Paul is warning them hey, don't give someone else the authority in your life to disqualify you things that aren't according to scripture. Again, I've said this many times, but I'm going to continue saying it. That is not saying, don't give anyone that authority. There are people that the Bible does give authority to that would say, listen, because of Scripture, we see you as disqualified. When we talk about elders or pastors in the church, there's a list of qualifications. Would it be right if someone, if if Pastor Billy or myself no longer were following the list of qualifications in Timothy or in Titus for if if you to come up to me and say, Stephen, you're disqualified because of this thing. And I say, nope, let no one disqualify you. you. You have no right to say that. No, there are things in which we can be disqualified. But how do we see those things? According to our foundation. According to scripture. So again, Paul qualifies in what way? Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. Now, how many of you saw that word throughout this week? That was just a word that came up regularly. Probably not. I don't think. Maybe if, um, Although I really don't know what this whole wordle thing is. I'm, I'm assuming it's something with words. Maybe people learned that word there. But maybe if you're playing Scrabble or something, the word came up. But most likely, no one came across the word of asceticism here. Here's the idea. It's the word humility. Now, the reason it doesn't say humility is because that could be confusing because there's parts in the Bible that say we should be humble, and yet here, if we said, let no one disqualify you insisting on, us, on humility, I think we would be a little confused. We're like, oh, I guess humility is not a thing that we need to do anymore. No, that's not the case. When we're talking about asceticism, it's a humility for show. It's the opposite of humility. It's still pride. It's this idea of, 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 oh, I'm fasting. Oh, I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten in all, all of this time and, and, the, and, and groaning because of the hunger. I'm not saying there's something wrong with fasting. But if you're doing it for attention, if you're doing it to manipulate God, that's not Humility. What does it mean if we think we could manipulate God with our actions? That's putting yourself in a pretty powerful position. If you think that your actions can manipulate God, you must think that you're a pretty powerful person. And I'm not pointing a finger here because I've done that. God, if I, um, I promise that I will do these things, I, 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 will, I will wake up at three in the morning and spend an hour in prayer, Two hours reading the Bible if you just give me this thing. I'm, I'm going to do all of these things. And, and are those things bad? No. But if you're doing them to manipulate God, if you're taking on these extreme versions of humility as manipulation and telling others that's what they need to do, you need to do this thing so that then you can truly have access to God, it's not true. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, Part of the worship of angels is probably something that that church specifically was struggling with, um, that there was something culturally even in um, the Colossian church of this mysticism. But there's even the possibility that it was linked to this asceticism. Oh, I'm not even worthy to pray to the Almighty God, so I'll pray to the angels. Because who am I to come before God? Here's the problem. Is anywhere... Do we find in this word the idea that we should worship angels? Is there any place here that is telling us that we are supposed to do these things? No. Is there any place that is, is prescribing this asceticism? No. So what do we see here? Man-made methods. Hey, you want a true foundation? We have a foundation. So, so if, the other foundation that we saw was kind of like make adding something to the Bible— Okay, we've got our own, we've got a foundation here, but let's add some things to, to maybe see if we're, we've got it better. This one is, you know what? I don't think we need that foundation. This foundation's hard. It hurts. It's, it's solid. You know what I think? I think we can do better. I think that maybe we can find something that works better for us is going to be better for humanity. What do you guys think, Kids? What about this one? Still there. <sighs> Don't let and let no one disqualify you insisting on these things. And look at what it says. Going on in detail about visions. One of the things about false teachers is... If it's not, a false teacher is not going to be established on the firm foundation. So what are they going to be established on? Their own ideas. Their own things. Their own visions. If you have a teacher whose foundation for how they teach you is based on their own personal experience, run away. Is personal experience helpful? Sure, you can use, there are elements in which we can learn from personal experience. But, for, but personal experience is never meant to be the foundation. Turn real quickly to, to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 16. This, this, is, this is how p- the apostle Peter this is the weight that he put in personal experience. Look what it says. It says this in verse 16, for, uh, 2, Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we came, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now I talked about this a few weeks ago, but what is. What what is Peter talking about here? What was Peter able to be the eyewitness of? The transfiguration. He saw the glory of Christ revealed. He was an eyewitness to that. For when we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this, his very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, personal experience. True experience. Pretty amazing thing. I think if I had been there, I would be telling people a lot about that. If you ask me to guest preach, that's what I'm going to be talking about. But look what he says next. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Wait a second. What's a more fully confirmed than my own personal experience of seeing this? to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is Peter saying? Yeah, I had something amazing. I got to see, I was there for the Mount of Transfiguration, but I have something even better. What's the better thing that Peter has? God's word. God's word is the better thing that he has. So when we are talking about people who come to you with, uh, go on in detail about visions, that might be something that they're claiming as a miraculous vision. As something of like, hey, God spoke to me and it's this mystical thing, but it could also just be, this is my own interpretation with no foundation. This is how the Bible really works. This is how you're supposed to read the Bible, but it's not founded on Scripture. It's not using Scripture to understand Scripture. It's their own visions and they are puffed up without reason. Why are they puffed up without reason? Because they have no foundation. They're proud again. Again, we're seeing this pride, but it's not a real pride. Puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. The word there is fleshly. They're fleshly mind. And here's what they're not doing. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. They're not holding fast to the head. What is the way that we can see whether someone truly is a false teacher? Who are they submitting to? Who are they built on? Colossians is using both of these ideas, these two different metaphors. Both stand firm, stable, and steadfast on this foundation of Christ. That's part of it. But the other metaphor is submit yourself under the head of Christ. If we go back to chapter 1, in verse 118, it says what, what we're talking about in this body, and he is the head of the body, and what's the body? The church. The first test for a false teacher is do they submit to Christ or not? Are they built on Christ? Are they adding to the foundation? Are they saying there's a different foundation? Or are they built on Christ? Are they submitting to him? But there's a context in which this should happen. The context in which it should happen is the church. Holding fast to the head from whom the whole body. We're not said to do this as individuals. Here's the danger. A lot of us think that we can that this that our Christianity is very individualistic. Are there individual elements to your Christianity? Absolutely. Are you saved in a congregation? No. Are you saved because you're in this room? No. You individually need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's your only hope for salvation. At the same time, though, moving forward, the protection that God gives, the place in which you are called to do that faith is within the context of the body. See, what happens if you have a false teacher outside of the church, and you're just kind of—and there's no structure— What what options do you have to confront that? You don't. There's really nothing you can do about it. But what if this teacher is within the context of the church? Then there's tons of things that the Bible says to do that. This is why it is so important for the context, for the place in which we do all of these things, to be within the body. How often do we hear of stories of people who see themselves as the disciple of someone that they have no interaction with. And then that person falls away and it devastates them because you as an individual aren't equipped to deal with that. Now, do is that going to say, hey, and the safeguard that, that that you will never have false teaching within the, the body of Christ. There, in the church, there will never be false teaching. No, there will be false teaching within the church, but different from you as an individual, the church is equipped to deal with that. The church can confront that. The church as a body can build each other up and deal with a false teacher that comes in their midst. And then what happens is that whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Our goal as a body as we are moving forward is we are trying to build up. There are things that we are looking, when we look at Scripture and say, you know what, there are things that we are not built up yet. There's still some fruit that hasn't been developed on this tree. There's still some areas that are lacking. That's okay. Paul understands that with the church in Colossians. But we need to be built up. And do that. But as we are being built up, what foundation are we going to use? Are we going to say, oh, this is based on best practices? This is as we look at Fortune 500 companies, this is how they structure themselves. Oh, this is what they do. This is how we can be accountable. We can use this software that's going to help us. I'm not saying that you can't use some of those things, but you need to make sure the foundation is there because the result, the only place that growth is guaranteed is it through this being under the headship of Christ so that it's joints and ligaments that they are nourished and knit together and it grows with a growth that is from God. If we submit to false teaching, if we, if we allow false teaching to come in, then what we will end up being is a church like one of these two things. It's not there. It doesn't stand the, the test of time. But if we build our foundation on Christ in his word, then we can have true growth. I'm not promising growth in the sense that we're going to be a church of 500 people or, or things like that. No, we're talking about growth in maturity. Growth in that we, the body, look and match the model from the head. We don't want this disembodied head where people look at the head and are like, all right, head looks pretty good body's very atrophied though like what what happened here this just does not match up no we want to be a body that that shows the beauty of the head that that illustrates that but submitting to false teachers erodes our firm foundation in christ